Welcome to the Ribbon Box Podcast. I'm Eloise, the founder. Each week we bring you expert interviews, reader stories, holistic offers and more. Subscribe to our podcast for free to become an insider and never miss an episode. Welcome. Today I am being joined by Katie Sagasser, who is the genetic counsellor at Juno DX. And we're going to be talking about navigating the first trimester when there's little to see, but lots to feel. Welcome, Katie. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today about everything to do with the first trimester and bonding. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How's it going where you are? Not bad, not bad. I'd love you to tell us a little bit about Juno DX and your role. Yeah, of course. Um, So I am a genetic counselor, as you mentioned. Um, I am the director of genetic counseling at Juno Diagnostics, where we're on a mission to make prenatal genetic testing more accessible to everyone. And so my role at Juno is sort of twofold. Um, First of all, I lead all of our clinical genetic counseling efforts. So uh, we do see patients when they have received their genetic testing results and have questions about what they mean. Uh, We want to be able to make sure that people everywhere, regardless of how close they are to their OB provider, what time zone they're in, all of those factors, um, that when they have questions about what what does my non-invasive prenatal screening result mean, they can meet with somebody in real time when that's right for them. Um, But the other aspect of my job is to work together with our multimedia and production team to try to scale access to some of the most commonly asked questions about pregnancy and genetic testing and genetic conditions as they pertain to um, one's fertility. Because there are so, so, so many aspects of this that um, maybe don't necessarily get covered in an initial prenatal appointment, or there's not enough time to go into the amount of depth that a person might want to have covered. So what we do is we create lots and lots of genetic counseling educational videos so that on your own time, you can uh, find our content and figure out more through a self-education process about, well, what is the right genetic test for me? And what kinds of conditions am I being screened for? What can I learn from each genetic test? Fantastic. I've got lots to ask you on that. Bonding with your baby, what are your top tips for a partner? Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's it can be a little bit trickier sometimes for the partner as opposed to the person who's carrying the pregnancy, just because particularly in the early days, it doesn't necessarily feel super different. You might notice that maybe your partner's feeling really queasy or uh, nervous but it's not like, oh, I can really see that something's happening. I think that the most important thing for a partner in bonding with a baby in the early days is really just to try to remember to be yourself and remove as much as possible the pressure of, I'm supposed to be doing this, I'm supposed to be doing that. Always, always, always remember that uh, the way that you normally bond with another human, like that's a perfectly reasonable way to expect to bond with your baby. And so if you're somebody that it takes a little bit of time to try to get to know another person, that's probably going to be the same case for you with this new addition to your family member. And so there might not be an instant overnight like, 
oh my goodness, I have this huge depth of a relationship. It's okay if it takes a little bit of time. However, um, think about the way that you're interacting with your partner during this time and always ask instead of assume of how do they feel when it comes to expectations or hopes that they have about the way that you're going to be bonding with them during this new special time and with the baby. So if they're really hoping that you are doing things like attending prenatal appointments together with them, for example. That's a great, super tangible, practical way that they can feel the support from you, their partner. And then also you might be able to have some of that more like kind of concrete physical data that helps you start to feel more of a relationship with this new entity, right? Your new baby, being able to interact with the doctor and get some of these uh, metrics pertaining to what's going on in the pregnancy right now perhaps seeing an ultrasound. Those are some of the more tangible things that can help to make that relationship grow over time, even when things are still really early days. In the very early days during the first trimester, it can be really difficult for a partner when uh, the person carrying the baby can feel more in terms of potentially morning sickness or other first trimester symptoms. Obviously, as pregnancy progresses, things like kicks, you can both kind of feel whether that's outside or inside but what would be your tips in terms of when when can the bonding start in the early weeks and days it can be tricky um how can partners navigate that yeah well i mean i think that this process is going to look really different for everyone um certainly what i've experienced as a healthcare provider um and now especially at juno one thing that we hear over and over again is that it starts to feel really really real for some parents and particularly the person who's not carrying the pregnancy once they find out the sex of their baby so while i completely recognize that this is not going to be a choice that everyone makes some people want to be surprised when their baby is born and that's totally fine but if you're the type of person that uh, maybe feels like it's all going to start to really feel more real for you once you can kind of craft this idea of, oh, I'm having a son, oh, I'm having a daughter, then considering something like an early fetal sex test may be a really, really great way for you to start that initial bonding process. How early can you test to find out the sex of your unborn baby? Yeah, so at Juno, we offer a fetal sex test that can be performed as early as seven weeks gestation. So that's counting seven weeks since the date of your last menstrual period. Um, and the way that we do this is through a finger prick blood test. So from the comfort of your own home, you can... Uh, to have a finger prick with a lancet, collect a very small sample of blood, ship it into our laboratory, and we're gonna analyze the pregnant person's blood to see if we find any Y chromosome material or not. If we see Y chromosome material, then you're most likely having a boy. If we don't see Y chromosome material, then you're most likely having a girl. And this is just one way that some parents feel they can have this early bonding opportunity to learn the sex of their baby. And it can be a really fun process for many parents. I love that you touched on this because personally, my husband was super keen with our three children to mm -hmm. find out the sex of each. And that's because their sperm donor conceived and he felt like he didn't have a huge amount of involvement in the process and mm -hmm. was concerned about the bonding process 
and experience throughout pregnancy and felt he'd had little involvement. So for him, he was absolutely adamant that he wanted to know the sex. We had a daughter first and then twin boy girls second. <laughs> it really helped him finding out, you know, around the 18 to 20 week mark what the sex was. And if we'd been able to find out and known about this birch test at mm -hmm. the kind of eight week mark, mm -hmm. that probably would have helped from an earlier stage as well. It's just hard to imagine, isn't it, when when the baby hasn't started to show. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's wild, right? The fact that we used to have to wait. I mean, like when our moms were having babies, that wasn't something that you would really often learn until the baby was born. Um, and then I think more recently we've grown accustomed to this. Well, you can usually find out around the time of the anatomy ultrasound. So like mid pregnancy, 20 weeks or so. Um, but I've, I've certainly walked patients through many different scenarios where for whatever reason, at the time of that ultrasound at 20 weeks, the legs are crossed, or maybe it's just really hard to get the right angle and you can't exactly tell, is it a boy? Is it a girl? So, I think that this type of new technology is really fantastic so that people can have that super early insight at seven and a half, eight weeks, getting their results of, okay, it looks like I'm having a boy. It looks like I'm having a girl. If you're the type of person that um, feels like this early information is going to make a big difference for you when it comes to bonding with your baby, we want you to be able to have that opportunity. But it's funny how experiences change what you've always thought you'd want to do. So I always grew up thinking, when I have a baby, you know, I never thought there'd be a problem conceiving. And there was. When I have a baby, I, you know, I want to find, I don't want to find out the sex. I want it to be a surprise. I said that from the day that I got married to my husband. And do you know what? After our fertility struggle, when he said, I really want to find out, I was just like, absolutely fine it's really not a problem you know we've come this far let's just do it and you know you need to find compromises don't you in terms of what feels right in a relationship and that was one of the things and we did it for the first so we did it again the second time that's fantastic. Um, I think that just goes to show the importance of like continuing to really pour into your relationship with your partner during pregnancy too. Um, because sometimes there can be those different hopes or expectations and figuring out what areas need to be compromised on or like who feels really strongly about something versus who maybe is, you know, this is, this is something that I have a preference, but it's not like an absolute. Um, that's going to make the whole experience uh, a more holistic and really honoring process for each person, I think. I agree, definitely. And in terms of the Birch test, this mm -hmm. is what I find interesting. How are those results delivered to people? Yeah, so the results are delivered through your MyJuno patient portal. So when you purchase the Birch kit and sign up for the whole MyJuno experience, we have a, a patient portal where you can um, not only do things like schedule your uh, video sample collection call because we have somebody walk you through the process just so that you have peace of mind of, okay, I'm doing everything right. You remember the first time you had to take like an at-home COVID test and you're like, I, I don't I don't know what's going on here. So we don't want any confusion. But is, it, is it a simple finger prick test? I think it's incredibly simple. At the end of the day, like you take a, a, a standard lamp, same thing that like, like my dad uses to test his blood sugar because he has diabetes. So you take a lancet, 
prick the finger after you've sterilized everything. We don't want there to be any type of contamination. Um, and then you just uh, squeeze out really a few drops of blood and that's collected within to a pipette that you then plunge onto our sample collection device. Um, and you, you close the device and ship it off in the mail. So it's a, it's a very straightforward process, but still I think people can feel um, just, you know, the like, healthy butterflies really of like, okay, this is something that's going to tell me information that I really want to know. And I want to make sure that I get it right as soon as possible. Um, How long do people need to wait for the result? Yeah. So results are usually available within two days from when our laboratory receives the sample. So if you order your test at six and a half weeks with the plan of, all right, I'm going to test right at seven weeks, then um, you know, you ship it back that same day and we get it within a day or two at the laboratory, just depending like where you are, um, then you should be able to get your results before your eight weeks. If, if everything goes like perfectly according to plan. So for that reason, we think it's so super, super important that people take every step, every measure possible to follow these instructions that we've worked hard to make very clear. We don't want there to be any issues with male DNA contamination. It's so wild just how, you know, if you have a male partner or a male dog in the house, that DNA can get on everything. So when we say, hey, it's important to really sterilize the surface that you're going to be collecting on top of like your kitchen counter or your desk or whatever, that is a really important step. And washing your hands thoroughly for 30 seconds, super important step cleaning off your finger with the alcohol pads that we provide. All of this is essential so that we can try our best to guarantee an amazing experience for you. And in terms of finding out, you said people log into the portal, then what happens next? Yeah, so they're going to get an email notification saying that their results are ready for them to view whenever the time is right. Um, leading up to this point, you can also delegate the results for your birch test. So if you are planning some type of a reveal experience, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh my gosh, I'm having this huge party. But even if you're saying, I, I really want my sister-in-law to get the results because she's going to plan something intimate for the two of us as a couple or, or whatever, you can have the results go to that person instead, or they can come directly to you. So there'll be a notification that the results are available within your portal. You open up your portal and then you have to very consciously click on, okay, I'm ready to view my results. So I'm not the type of person that when it comes to any type of lab work, I want surprises. Like I want to be able to know this is going to show up on my screen when I'm ready for it to show up. So there's there's no uh, like accidents happening here of, oh my gosh, I, I looked in the wrong spot. I didn't want to know yet. And now I know you, you're, you're very consciously going to click on your results. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Obviously very early testing for the sex of the baby. You may not have even had an ultrasound at that point. So what happens for people who are anxious going into pregnancy? Maybe they've experienced miscarriage in the past or it's been a tricky way getting there following treatment, for example, um, and they haven't yet had that first scan. What are your thoughts there in terms of having this knowledge, but still waiting to see if there's a heartbeat and to see whether you know the anatomy scan's okay, et cetera? Yeah. Well, it's tricky, right? Because so as, as a healthcare professional, as a genetic counselor, um, I recognize that I am biased when it comes to 
all of the things that can happen, like when you work in this space of high risk pregnancies and knowing that like miscarriages are common and fetal anomalies are always possible. I, I recognize that I tend to be a little bit of a nervous Nelly. So um, I always think it's a good idea that, you know, when you have a positive pregnancy test, the first thing you should do is establish OB care. And a lot of the times that's going to include a viability ultrasound ASAP. Now, depending on, you know, your access to OB care, that may not be something that's reasonably possible. Or um, here in the United States, some people's health insurance plans only cover a specific number of prenatal ultrasounds across the course of a pregnancy. So, you may not have an ultrasound until you're 10, 12, 15 weeks, depending. So, so really what you said is true that there absolutely are going to be individuals who are seeking out this knowledge before they've had some of the like validation and peace of mind that, okay, um, it is an intrauterine pregnancy, not an ectopic pregnancy. And um, it's just one, not two. And like, everything seems like it's going okay so far. I think that um, it's everybody's personal choice regarding what information they're willing to take on at what point in time in their pregnancy and in their life, right? So if you as a pregnant person, um, you know, you're, you're realizing like, okay, I'm pregnant, I'm far enough along that I could take one of these early fetal sex tests and I haven't yet had an ultrasound. So I recognize like there could still be other surprises down the road, but for right now, I just wanna find out the sex of my baby that's fine. You have every right to be able to do that. And maybe that's one piece of information that gives you a little bit of peace of mind, happy feelings, bonding experience. You should go for it if you feel like that's right for you. But please, please, please get connected with your OB provider as soon as possible and be asking these important questions about how many ultrasounds do I need to make sure that my baby is healthy and doing okay and to make sure that I am physically safe and sound during pregnancy? Mm -hmm, definitely. What about the um, screening that Juno offers as well? Yeah, so by that, I think you mean our non-invasive prenatal screen or NIPS. So we call that our hazel NIPS, hazel screen. Um, so this is really my particular area of expertise because this is our medical screening product. Whereas Birch, the fetal sex test is, is just a just for fun recreational test to find out you know, am I having a boy or a girl? It's as straightforward as that. The hazel screen goes much, much, much further. And instead of only looking for, you know, what are the sex chromosomes, it's intent is to screen for fetal chromosome variations where there's an extra copy of a chromosome or a missing copy of a chromosome. So specifically our main hazel product, it looks for trisomy 21, also called Down syndrome, trisomy 18, also called Edwards syndrome, and trisomy 13, also called Patau syndrome. So it's going to be looking for these three common chromosome variations um, in addition to testing for the sex of the baby. So would people have this test? Yeah. So the hazel screen, we can perform as early as nine weeks gestation. Again, counting backwards from the date of your last menstrual period, nine weeks after that point in time. So some people choose to have 
the birch test right at seven weeks. So they get that early information about boy or girl, and then they follow it up with the hazel NIPS at nine weeks. Other people, um, they choose to kind of do it all in one fell swoop, and they just have hazel at nine weeks where they're getting all of that information at once. That's really clear. Thank you so much for explaining, Katie. And back to bonding, um, we talked a little bit about partner support and what you can be doing during those first few weeks, those early weeks, um, Mm -hmm. first trimester, where it can feel a bit lonely and you might not be telling people until 12 weeks. It's, again, personal decision. And and as you said, there are fewer medical appointments at this point in time. So it's kind of like you feel like, is this even real? Is this happening? Is everything okay? So what are your tips in terms of riding this wave when there's little to when there's little to see, but lots to feel? Yeah, Um, it's a tricky question, right? Because I think that this is something that's going to be different for every person, every couple, every parenting situation. Um, You know, depending on whether you're in a parenting arrangement where um, maybe you've been together for several years or a decade or more, and you really understand your relationship dynamic, or, you know, this is not your first baby, you've had some experience with this before, or um, maybe this is a brand new relationship or perhaps not even, um, you you know, you're planning to co-parent but not be in a relationship. There's no one straightforward answer to this, and that's totally okay. So I always think it's important, again, to, on, on both sides, ask instead of assume. Um, see if you're on the same page about attending prenatal appointments. Maybe you as the non-pregnant parent think it's really, really important to want to go to those appointments with the person carrying the pregnancy. Make sure you're on the same page about that. Um, I think that when it comes to sort of this like, you know, more tangible, like trying to get data points sort of aspects for bonding with baby and riding that first trimester wave of, um, I want to feel something, but I can't really see too much yet. Um, Prenatal appointments, I think, are one way that the person who's not carrying the pregnancy can can really start to to shine. Perhaps the person who is pregnant is feeling all of the things, right? The nausea, the heartburn, the um, just anxiety, et cetera. And so coming up with answers to all of the questions that might be posed about like, well, do I want to have this test or that test? Or like, how do I select my OB provider? Um, What am I thinking about ultimately? uh, Like, do I want to be delivering in a hospital versus a birthing center versus at home? The non-pregnant partner can be doing a lot of the behind the scenes, like data gathering and researching to try to bring that together in the context of the couple to to help figure these things out together. So for some parents, it's going to look really, really tangible like that, data, data, data. For other parents, it might be things like, um, you know what, I'm going to start writing a letter to my baby or to my baby and my pregnant partner every day. Or, um, you know, I want to try to carve out some time at night where I can um talk to the baby, even though it might start to feel kind of like silly or weird. Um, There's something that's different for everybody and that's all okay, but it has to be centered in good, healthy communication of what do you feel comfortable with? What are your expectations? I want to really listen to you and be here for you. So that's why I'm asking instead of assuming. 
I also want to ask for people who are pregnant and they're not in a relationship and they're doing it solo, of which we have many readers, mm -hmm. um, what would be your advice in terms of seeking that support and who you turn to and what that looks like in early pregnancy? That's a great question. Um, so for single parents out there, um, my hope is that you would have some type of community that you really, really find support and, um, you know, just like emotional guidance from whether that's your own parents, your own family members, or maybe you have your own network of really, really close friends. I'm so thankful for social media for, for this aspect specifically, because I think that there are really fantastic communities out there when it comes to, um, you know, being a single mom or a single parent um, by choice, right? And the way that your people can all start to show up for each other in that way. Um, another really important tip, I think, for single parents and parents and parents to be <laughs> in general is getting plugged in with a therapist. Um, this is not something that I think we are always super comfortable talking about, um, but particularly with really big life changes, like getting ready to add a new member to your family, whether it's the first time or the fifth time, um, incorporating therapy into your sort of like self-care regimen is going to be really, really helpful in the long run. Great advice. And what about resources like books? Are there books to help? And, you know, what do you think about singing to an unborn baby and speaking to them and all of the above? Yeah, um, I really think that there is no one right or wrong answer. Um, try things out, right? Like, especially um, as as the pregnant person, um, if you have time that you can, uh, you know, sing to your baby in the shower or in the car somewhere that you're like, you know what, I'm not going to feel embarrassed if this doesn't end up feeling right for me try things on, see what works. And if you are the person who's not pregnant, but trying to feel connection with the baby that's being carried at that point in time, talk to your partner about like, do you, do you mind if I try to, you know, like, can we sit down together and I'm going to read a baby book and it might feel silly, but I just want to see how it feels for me. And we don't necessarily ever have to do this again, but I want to try it and let's see how it goes. The more that you can try to create this like safe, welcoming environment where look, maybe this is our first time doing this, but, um, I, it's important to me to invest in our baby, to invest in us this way, um, that it's going to be better for everybody in the long run to have that type of nurturing environment. Totally agree. In fact, my husband and I tried to read a donor conception book to our babies before they were born during pregnancy. And I think part of that was telling our story so that we could feel comfortable talking about it, almost like a practice run before the babies got here. That's so cool. So is that that's something that you now like speak openly about with your child? Um, I don't know. How yeah, we have, we have picture books, which we've customized and personalized with our story. And we use names and, um, you know, everything that we we have about the trips because we had treatment in the States. We know a bit about our donor. We have childhood photos. So all of those are in the book so we can bring it to life. And they know the books off by heart now. And they, they do ask them. To, they do ask for us to read them to them every night. 
I love that. I think that is so creative and fantastic because, um, again, there's no one right or wrong path for anybody. Every family situation is going to look a little bit different, but um, being able to be super open and transparent and just normalizing like, hey, this is how you came to existence into the world. Um, it's only going to make those types of like uh, curiosity questions later on in life that much more approachable. So I applaud you for that. I think that's really awesome. I think knowing, you know, what happened and where you have originated from is really important to many. And families these days are built in so many shapes and sizes that mm -hmm. it's highlighting to children, well, for us personally, that that's okay. And this is this is the journey we went on. This is now your story. And we're telling you about it. And obviously those conversations will start to um, become more complicated as they get older and they have more questions. But from pregnancy to where we are now, it's been, it, it's felt natural and it's felt okay to manage and their interest is sparked. So everyone has their own opinion about what they want to do and, and there's no right or wrong way, but it's just me sharing what we've decided to do. Yeah, I, I love it. I think that that's really awesome. What about pregnancy apps so that partners, for example, or a family member can support you and kind of follow that early pregnancy journey with you? Yeah. Um, so I think that that is something that is a really, really great option for plenty of dads, partners, non-pregnant parents out there. Um, it's it's not necessarily something that I think is going to be uniform across the board that like, okay, every good dad does this app or follows this program. Um, that can look all sorts of different ways. But certainly if dad is feeling a little bit like left out or in the dark, um, here in California and in San Diego particularly, we have lots and lots of military families. And so when I'm interacting with folks where I know that the non-pregnant parent is deployed, like they're stationed overseas or somewhere else where they like truly literally cannot go to prenatal appointments and can barely like even FaceTime with their pregnant partner, um, being able to feel connected through something like a pregnancy app, just going over details as simple as today, your baby is the size of a blank and having some of these little like factoids about what's going on that can help make them feel more connected in a time where otherwise they might not really be able to. So I think it's worth exploring. And again, you just have to try things on for size and see what feels right for you. Great. That's great to know. Thank you. To finish with do's or don'ts for pregnancy partners. Yeah. Um, don't assume, always ask. I think I've reiterated that a few times, um, but this is a great time to work on your relationship, whether as a co-parent, as a spouse, as a partner. Um, so always, always, always ask instead of assume. Um, other do's include practice empathy, practice a compassionate presence. So think about things like what might my partner be experiencing right now physically and emotionally and how can I show up for them? Um, do they like surprises? Do they like being taken care of? Do they need more space? What do I know about them that can help me show up a little bit better for the way that they need it right now? Um, and then third, probably most important uh, tip for partners 
listeners during pregnancy is, is really try to work on yourself and being the first best version of yourself that you can be during this time. Um, it's a big life change to welcome a new baby into the world and into your family. And so the more that you are trying to refine yourself and be proud of the person that you really are, I think the better that you're going to show up as a parent in the long run. Amazing advice. For anyone who wants to check out the Hazel or the Birch tests through Juno Diagnostics, please head to our link in bio and use code RIBBON15, that's RIBBON15, for a lovely 15% off. Thank you so much, Katie, for your time today. It's been so nice chatting with you. Thank you, Eloise. It was great to meet you.